0: Well, good morning to you yet again. If you have a Bible, please take and turn to the book of Colossians, Colossians chapter 1, verses 15 and 16, and Clint and I are in the same corner together. I'm sorry, Clint. <laughs> I was blocking him in, an and then I stuck to your cord because I'm smooth like that, <laughs> smooth. <clears throat> it's good to be with you. Colossians chapter 1, beginning of verse 15, we'll start. And before we do that, have you ever seen the movie Apollo 13? It's one of my favorite ones. Ron Howard directed it. Mr. Tom Hanks is in that movie. It's about the failed Apollo 13 moon landing. And if you've seen the, if you've seen the movie, <coughs> excuse me, if you, I'm getting choked up here. If, you see the, if you've seen the movie, that what happens is there's a catastrophic failure in the rocket that these three astronauts are taking to the moon. The catastrophic failure has put the moon landing on hold, and then it puts the astronauts' lives in jeopardy. And there is a situation in which everything that could go wrong went wrong on this. If you've seen the movie, you know it. I mean, everything. The filters, the... (coughs) Excuse me, I have to get some water here. The filters that... um, the filters that were supposed to get you know, get out the carbon dioxide wouldn't fit. They were they were round on one of the spacecrafts and they were square on the other. It was just a nightmare. And so what you have is this series of calamities that happens in Apollo thirteen. At the at the the, the most the pivotal point is the the guy they find out that the guys are not gonna the astronauts are not gonna be able to come back into the atmosphere unless they do a controlled burn, which means they run the engines of the spacecraft enough to get to the right trajectory to hit the atmosphere just right so they get in and in back into our world. And so they don't have they have the, they don't have the luxury of using a guidance computer or anything. And so what happens is is they're just flying blind. And all they're trying to do is to keep the earth in the window. And so in this really action-packed scene they get ready, they strap themselves in, they, they ignite the engines, and they're flying this spacecraft through space, and it looks, I don't know how intense it was, but in the movie, it's super intense, and the thing's flying, and it was like it was like they had a, a dead cow on the back of the spaceship, and it kept moving all around, and they're trying to right this thing, keep the window, keep the earth in the window, so they wouldn't drift off into space. Long story short, and if you know history and you've seen the movie, they burned just the right amount to get on the right trajectory to make it back. I want you to think about when you come to church, that's kind of that control burn. I know this is a long shot. Follow me for a minute. It's that control burn in which you may be off in one section, but what you're doing is recalibrating your life to keep what is important in the window. And so that's what we've done at Vacation Bible School. We have tried to show these kids how they should understand the world, how they should understand Jesus, and how they, their lives should be recalibrated to fit right in that window, to fit in where they need to be. And so when we come to church on Sundays, when we come to VBS, we do all these things. What we're trying to do is to think like, think the thoughts of God and to not, not be off course, because a little bit off course for a short time won't matter too much. For example, if you get your GPS going and you're trying to go somewhere. That's the only way my wife will go somewhere is if she has a GPS. Like sometimes it's even the piggly wiggly. Just kidding. Okay, she she won't go anywhere, She gets anxiety if that GPS is not working. Can You imagine if your GPS is 1 mile off, that's not bad. But can you imagine? Do you know like towns have the same names? You imagine if you were trying to go to one town in Tennessee, but <laughs> you accidentally your g p s has it in Oklahoma, you imagine how far off at first you wouldn't be that far from your destination, but you keep going that way eventually you're gonna be saying boomer sooner okay and and it's gonna be flat, and there'll be tornadoes all right that that's what we're talking about here a little bit off it's not too big of a deal, but unless you have that course correction to come and get things right and to reframe your thinking, and and we will all drift off that way. And so when we come to the Scriptures together, we are coming together to have our minds recalibrated to that point to keep what is important in the window. And one of the most important things that the Scripture teaches, in fact, the utmost thing that the Scripture teaches is who Christ is. And we have, and we've been teaching these kids this heavy lifting verse. The reason we went this is a big verse, this, first, this Colossians chapter 1, 15 and 16. These two verses, they're big. They're packed with stuff. And I want to explain them to you real quick and show you how they matter and show you how we all need to recalibrate our lives to see Jesus as he is, as the thing that should be the most of the window of our life. And so if we look in Colossians chapter 1, Verse 15, it says this, and it'll be, if you don't have a Bible, it'll be on the screen for you. He is, talking about Jesus, he is the image of the invisible God. So the first thing it says about Jesus is he is the image of the invisible God. You got your own Bible, you got an app, whatever, highlight that, we're going to come back to it. It says this, he is the firstborn over all of creation. Verse, and so that's the second thing to underline, he's the firstborn of all creation. Thirdly, in verse 16, it says this, for by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authority. So you can just go out and like, he created everything, all those things, whether it's visible, invisible, thrones, principalities, everything. It goes on to say, and all things were created through him. And this last one to underline is all things created for him. Everything was through him and for him. This is a big topic. This is a huge, this is the understanding of who Jesus is. If you go right now and you go and Google Jesus, if you go to Google images and you put in Jesus, you will see millions upon millions of images. Some of the weirdest images you've ever seen in your entire life. Some are your classic British looking Jesus, okay? I don't know why we decided to make Jesus a British man because he was a Middle Eastern Jew, but we made him look like like he's from England and he needs the sun. Okay, there ain't nothing wrong with England, by the way. I know Suzanne in here. Don't do hear me. I, I got some love for some English folks up in here. You back? I see you back there. But he was Middle Eastern Jew. But go there's one. There's a picture. I did this before. I, like, I did this message. I actually try sometimes, okay? <laughs> try a lot of times, to, to, you, know, to let you, you know, to preach to you guys. So th- I, was, I was doing the Google image search. because I knew I was going to talk about this, and there was a picture of the, it looked like the, like, like the Jesus from, you know, Eastern Orthodoxy, but he had a raptor head like a dinosaur with a halo around it. I was like, now how did that ever even enter into somebody's mind? You know what, I should give Jesus a dinosaur head. There's one where Je- it's got Jesus' head on Darth Vader's body, and he has a lightsaber. There's one where there's this super buff Jesus with a <laughs> giant fish. I guess it was the loaves and fish, but he's holding the fish. And I was like, why? Why would you ever do that? See, we all make our own Jesus unless we go back and have our thoughts recalibrated about who Jesus really is. Because when it comes to who Jesus is, your opinion, and I'm saying this in the most love as I as possibly can, your opinion does not matter matters what's true about him. And where you find your source of truth, and I believe wholeheartedly that the Scripture is the truth about who Jesus is, if we, do not, if we do not have the truth of Scripture telling us who Jesus is, then it's the Jesus of our own understanding, and he could be the raptor Jesus if you wanted him to be. The Jesus of the Bible is the true Jesus. And in this letter, Paul tells us that Jesus is, at first, he is the image of the invisible God. Now, that's a mouthful. He says, he is the image of the invisible God. That word in the Greek language, has we get the word icon from it. He is the re- direct representation of, G- of God. He is God in the flesh. In fact, Colossians, he'd go on to say in Colossians 119, it would say this, for in him, in Jesus, all of the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, which is a way of saying that Jesus was in the flesh fully human, and he was fully God. And you see this worked out in the Gospels, and you see it worked out other places, but Jesus was unique, and we've talked to the kids about this this week. Jesus was unique, he was, was unique in the fact that he was a human being with a brain, with skin, with muscles, with the same needs and desires. He needed to eat, he needed to drink, he needed to go to the bathroom. He had, he was like us in every way except for this. He was perfect, and he was God in the flesh. And that's what it means in Philippians that he set aside his deity. What did that mean? he set aside those not his deity. He set aside his the riches of heaven. He came to earth, humbling himself, emptying himself, so that he could be in the form God would come in the form of a human being. He was fully human, and he was fully God, and he's the direct representation of God to us. In fact, John would talk about this in his Gospels, and he would say this, in the beginning was the Word. The Word talks about, is, the Word is Jesus. So in the beginning, before there was anything, how does the Bible start, by the way? In the beginning, right? In the beginning, God. In fact, the first word in the Hebrew in, in Genesis is God, So in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. You've heard that before. That's a good opening line. It's one of the best opening lines ever. Okay, that'll really get your your attention grabbed. And so John, when he comes and he says in the beginning, he knows what he's doing. He's a good Jewish boy. He knows the Old Testament. So he is making a statement about Jesus that he has always been, that he's eternal with God. And he says in John chapter one, he says in the beginning was the word, Jesus. And the word was with God, He was always been, and the Word was God. And then it goes on to say, and he was in the beginning with God. Emphasis, he was before everything. And all things were made through him, everything. And without him was not anything made that was made. And then it goes on to say in verse 4, and in him was life, and that life was the light of men, and light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. You jump down to verse 18 in John's gospel, and he says this, no one has ever seen God. Seen representations of God in the Old Testament you see the prophets they see him you see Isaiah he saw a, a picture of God in the throne room but he, God was high and lifted up Nobody has ever seen God remember remember Moses he wanted to see God he said you can't handle this that's the Matt international version <laughs> and so you can't look but I'll pass by and you can catch my backside God comes, and no one has ever seen God, is what John 1, 18 says. No one has ever seen God, the only God, who is at the Father's side. He has made him known. Jesus makes known who God is. So if you want to know the heart of God, you need to look no further than Jesus, who is the second person of the Trinity. He is God in the flesh. If you want to know what God is like, you look to Jesus. He is the image of the invisible God. No one has seen God but Jesus has made him known to us. So we're not out there groping and grasping and who's God. He, Jesus, has made him known. It goes on to say, not only this, about recalibrating, he says this, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all. Now, there has been a whole lot written about this being the firstborn of over all creation, okay? And what does that mean? Some of us think of, we don't think of firstborn the way that these people thought of firstborn. The way we think of firstborn is the, the, the first kid that we have in succession. And now, usually, when someone dies, or when a parent dies, the Estate, if you will. Now usually I know some of you are thinking that's not how it worked in my family. I'm sorry, okay? I'll pray for you. We'll pray together. I'm sorry it's messed up, okay? But in most families, what would happen if a parent died, all the assets would be split equally among the children. Not so in this time period. The firstborn got it all. So what he is not saying, and especially because we understand it throughout the whole of Scripture, is that Jesus was somehow created. He's the firstborn in the sense that he was created by God. No, he is fully God, and he came in the flesh. That's not what this is saying. But what it means when he says firstborn here is that he has all the rights and the privileges of the firstborn child in this culture, which means this. I was the firstborn child. And I like to poke fun at my brother about it all the time. I grab my mom's phone and regularly text him. From my mom's phone, I love Matt more. I call him <laughs> her third favorite son. She only has two regularly. I love to mess with him, and then I know he knows I'm texting through my mom's phone. But I'm w- banking on his coworkers seeing a text from his mom saying that he loves his brother more. And it gives, it gives me just great glee. Okay, I enjoy it so much. And see, back in the day, especially in this time when this was written, as the firstborn, I would be king of the castle. I get all the inheritance. Bow to me. You get a certain percentage, but I get most of it. House would be mine. The estate would be mine. It would be mine, especially if there was a situation with royalty involved, and that's what we have here with God being king. You have this idea, who takes the throne? The firstborn heir. And Jesus is that. So it's not referring to Jesus being made. Jesus has always existed with the Father. He is fully God. And this is, we're getting into the deep waters here, okay? But he's fully God, and he has always existed, always he's eternal. And when it says he's the firstborn, it means that he is the rightful ruler and reigner. And because he came on the cross and died and was risen, he is Lord he has all the prerogatives of the sovereign. He is the firstborn in the sense that he is the one to take the throne. And if you look in the book of Revelation at the end of the book, then they're asking who is worthy to open up the scrolls. You know who it is? The Lamb of God, who is Jesus. He is the one worthy. He is the one who rules and reigns. And then we go on to see what else is next in verse 16. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authority, all things were created through him. So not only see that Jesus is the image of the invisible God, he makes God known, he's fully God, and he's eternal with the Father. The second thing we see about Jesus is that, He's not only the image of the invisible God, but he's the firstborn over the creation. He is the ruler and reigner rightfully. He is the heir to the throne. He is king. And thirdly, we want to see this, that everything that, everything that was made was made through Jesus. He was the agent. God the Father made everything through the Son, Jesus. Now, that is, this is a high-level ticket stuff, but I want you to know as We've been teaching the kids that God made everything. And it's really easy to get answers from them when you said, God made everything, what did he make? And they're like, I can't get this wrong. Trees, exactly. Food, absolutely. Animals, yes. And they make delicious, and God made delicious pigs that we can make into bacon, okay? I told him that, and I was like, glory be, Okay fantastic. He gave man the knowledge on how to kill the pig and how to make that pig into glorious marbleized bacon goodness. And then, because this is even better, in the new covenant, he makes all things clean so we can eat the bacon. The Jews couldn't eat the bacon. We can. Praise God. Everything was made through him. All things was made, were made through him. He made it all. And it goes on and it lists a, a quite a big list of things that he made. It says that he that all things were created in heaven and on earth. So the stars that we see, the burning suns, if you will, the heavenly lights that we see, he made. The black holes, the rings around Saturn, the fact that we are just one solar system amongst a sea of galaxies. He created it all. He created the heavens. We were recently in Pensacola, we watched the sun go down over the water and I was just in awe again that of the vibrant colors that just appear in the sky. Those all have natural processes that God set in motion when he spoke, infinite intelligence. An infinite beauty coming from that infinite intelligence, who God is. He made the heavens, everything in heaven and on earth was created. The creepy crawly things, the bugs, these uh, uh, these insatiable sugar ants that somehow get into your house, even if you drop like seven tons of poison on them. Where are these things coming from? They were created by Him and for Him. Even the creeping things, the big things. We're at the Louisville Zoo. Like at the beginning of the in June, the beginning of the summer, and there was a lion that roared at the zoo, and I had never—I guess I never heard the lion's roar as loud as he did at this point. And he roared, and everybody in the whole area of the zoo turned to look at that lion. It was unbelievably loud, and that was an unbelievable creature. Think about this: take your house cat, you know how. If you love cats, I love you. God bless you. And I don't know how you love those things because they don't love you back. They would kill you if they could. And that's what a lion is it's a house cat with the power to kill you. Okay? That's exactly what that is. Jack you up in a second. That thing was so powerful, so big, so loud in his roar. The other animals, in the same area of the zoo, there was a giraffe feeding area. The giraffe stood up from its food and was like, whoa. He didn't point. That was my personification of the (laughs) giraffe. He looked. There was a camel ride going on. Of course, we rode the camel. Okay, I just wanted to clear that up. There was a camel ride going on. The camel stopped and looked like, "Uh uh-oh, the lion's mad. God created that. He created... (laughs) the camel, which is a horse made by committee, you know? I mean, it just doesn't work. It's slumpy. (laughs) He made these things. They got this water tank. They go across the desert. Creation is amazing. He is the agent of creation. Everything in heaven on earth was made through him, visible and invisible. Now, it's very likely he's talking about the the, the, the visible and the invisible in the sense that there's a spiritual realm and there is a physical realm. Those both, both things are true. But it could be mentioning here that he could be talking about the invisible realm, that there are atoms and molecules that make up everything we see. And they're unseen, unless you have a microscope to do that. And even some of the things that, that scientists believe that are there when it comes to atoms and protons and neutrons cannot even be seen completely. And it takes something big to see those things. There are many things that are naked to, that we can't see with the naked eye, like the galaxies that are far beyond us that we just can't see without some type of telescope or some kind of satellite probe. All things were created for Him, the visible and the invisible. What a Jesus! This is not the Jesus is my homeboy. This is not the raptor-headed Jesus. This is not the Jesus of your own understanding. This is the Jesus of the Bible who is the agent of creation. He has always existed with God. He is completely God in the flesh. He is the creator of all things. Whether on heaven or earth, he, he, it was made through him. Whether it's visible or invisible, it's made through him. And it also says whether thrones or dominions or authorities or ruler, rulers or authorities. And so what this is getting at is there's the spiritual realm and all authority, whether it's on the earth, the invisible, or even even in spiritual realms with demons and and angels and stuff we can't really understand because the Bible doesn't give us a whole lot of of information. It just says that there is a realm of demons and angels that we don't understand, and there's a hierarchy of those things, and we can kind of guess that there, but it's not. the Bible doesn't major on that. Jesus is even ruler over those things. Now, I want to put this clearly. If you've ever read the Gospels, there's all these stories in the Gospels, and almost if you don't understand them correctly, You're almost at this point where you think it's like, come and see the amazing Jesus. Watch him turn the water into wine. Look at him, heal the leper's hand. You know somebody that's kind of weird in your family? You think they're demon-possessed? Bring them on down. Jesus will cast out the demons and make them less weird. And if you read the Bible like that, you think that the Jesus story is just a dog and pony show trying to get you to, 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 to look at all these great things and, oh, I remember these miracles. But when you look at the Gospels, these are eyewitness accounts meant to show you that Jesus is Lord over the supernatural and the natural world. Just give you an example, and I want you to do this, because this is going to help you recalibrate your thinking. You Remember, I want to keep the big picture in the window, and one of the ways you keep, get, keep the big picture in the window is to understand the Scriptures and to read the Scriptures and to read them correctly to understand it. So I want to walk you through real quick just two, just two stories. Mark 1, they'll be up here. Mark 1, it's one of the Gospels. Mark 1, let's see if I can find it. I'm trying to turn quick, and I can't do it. Mark 1, verse 21, there's a story here. Mark 1. Come on, Matt. Mark 1, 21 says this. And, the, and then this is talking about Jesus. Very beginning of the gospel, Mark chapter 1, it says this. And, and, and they went into Capernaum, and immediately on the Sabbath, which is a Saturday in the Jewish time period, he entered the synagogue and was teaching. So Jesus is teaching in the synagogue on Saturday, as was his custom. In verse 22, and they were astonished at his teaching, for he taught them as one who had authority and not the scribes. You imagine That sermon. Son of God throwing down. And we got in verse 23, and immediately there was in the synagogue a man with an unclean spirit, a demon. A man with a demon. I want you to know this. In our, in our culture, the idea of demon possession and, and spirits and stuff, we have tried to sanitize ourselves out of them and diagnose out of those things. And there's a real thing such as mental illness, but I want you to know something. There's real real demon possession in the world, there are, we don't wrestle against flesh and blood people. We wrestle against principalities and powers and rulers of the air. We are, there is a spiritual realm and if you go to, if you go to some other countries, you get a, it's some that are are are, are not as uh, rationalistic as we are, you'll see those things very clearly. I am thinking I think about witch doctors that I've, I've encountered in Haiti and some other people. There is something that cannot be explained other than demon possession. And so when the Bible's talking about this, don't go try to find a demon under every rock like some people do. But it's a real deal. And this unclean spirit cries out. And can you imagine right now how startling it would be if would, these people were met to worship. And all of a sudden someone just goes, ah! in the back. I'm sorry, <laughs> I scared a child. Can you imagine though? I was I was in uh, Louisville, Kentucky at 9th and Baptist Church that's where I was. Uh, that's where I was a member when I was um uh, in seminary and there was this guy that sat in front of me and you ever run these scenarios like I knew this guy was weird and I had I I felt like he was going to try to do something. I just had that in my spirit cuz he had this weird like vibe, okay? So I was kind of thinking, if he does something, I'm going to punch him in the neck. You know what I mean? Like, I probably wasn't. But, you know, like, I felt like he was going to do something. So in the middle of the service, as soon as the pastor gets up and he gets to go do his pastoral prayer, this guy lets out this guttural scream, this, He is right in front of me. So immediately the pastor looks up and looks at me like, Matt, why are you screaming? I was like, Okay, so then I'm really thinking, like, how am I going to take this guy out if he goes after our pastor, if he tries to go after my wife or somebody else? Like, how am I going to take this guy down? So, you know, I don't know if I do it or not, but I'm running the scenarios through my brain about this, okay? Then then he starts preaching, the pastor starts preaching, and what does the guy do? He stands up and starts screaming, and I was like, I told you, it was him. I don't know what was the deal with this guy. The deacons at our church handed it really well. They couldn't grab him and they, they counseled with him. I think they got him some help that he needed, which was awesome. But I, can, I just know the feeling of a startled situation. Jesus is in Capernaum at the synagogue, this person with unclean spirit cries out. And what does he say? What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? This is the demon calling out. Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. So this demon from in this person is crying out. He says, Jesus, I know who you are. You come to destroy us? Which is an assumption that he can destroy them. And what happens? Jesus rebuked him saying, be silent. Come out of him. Be silent. Just zip it. I don't know about you. I can't make my dog stop barking. We can't get the kids to be quiet. <laughs> VBS. And he says, just be quiet, demon. Stop. Be silent, come out of him. And the unclean spirit convulsing and crying out with a loud voice came out of him. You imagine the stories they told at lunch after that, synagogue, worship time. Hey, you guys remember after we sang the song? Where the demon-possessed guy screamed at Jesus, and Jesus was like, "Hey, stop it! Come out of him!" and like the guy convulsed on the ground, and then the demon came out. You remember that? That was weird. And they were all amazed, and so that they questioned among themselves, saying, like, "What is this?" So this is <laughs> almost like this is at the lunch table. What, what is this? What happened? a new teaching with authority. He commands and even unclean spirits, and they obey him, and at once his fame spread everywhere throughout all the surrounding regions of Galilee. He's the Lord of the supernatural. The demons obey. The demons fear. The demons know his name. The demons, the supernatural world bows to him. He has defeated them, and he is that Jesus. Not only that, he is the Lord of the natural world. Go down into verse 29 of Mark chapter 1. It says, and immediately, one of Mark's favorite words, he says, immediately he left the synagogue and entered the house of Simon and Andrew and James and John. So this is kind of the way this story is written here. This is like happens right after that, that he leaves from the synagogue, the weird worship service with the demon possession. He shows his power of the demon, come out. Demon, ah, convulses the guy and comes out, showing the power of Jesus. And then right after that, they go over to eat. Whew. What a Sunday, or what a Saturday. And immediately he left the synagogue and entered the house of Simon and Andrew, James, and John. Now, Simon's mother-in-law lay ill with a fever, and immediately they told him about her, and he came and took her by the hand and lifted her up, and the fever left her, and she began to serve them. So Peter had a mother-in-law, which shows that he was married. Tell your Catholic friends, okay? He was married. You don't have a mother in law unless you're married, okay? Think about that. She was there. (laughs) I'm sorry, that was (laughs) free. Okay, let's go back. Married. Mother in law is there, she's got a fever. get out the Dimatap or the Tylenol. Get out the ibuprofen. Give her some. That's what we would do. What does he go? he comes and he grabs her hands. lifts her up. The fever leaves. Now my little boy, this has become kind of a joke, but it wasn't really a joke when he had it. He got mono. He's four. He got mono. And you know how... <laughs> How bad it is if a preacher's son has mono and all the jokes that get told. Well, what was your son doing? on well, the kissing disease. He's four. Okay? That was an awful thing. If you've ever had mono, I'm really sorry that you've had to experience that. For two straight weeks, that kid had a raging fever. And unless we kept medicine in him, his fever would get like bumping 104. It was bad. And if I had any type of power, I would take it. I would take. I would have taken the mono for him. That kid felt awful. And you've seen, if you've ever seen a sick child, or if you've had a sick child, you know how that goes. You would do anything in your power to let that, like, to take that on, to for them not to be that sick. But you have no power to do that. But Jesus, when He comes in on the scene, He has power over fevers, which means He control everything. The human body. He lifts this lady up, the fever's gone, and she goes and makes lunch. That is what it means that he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of creation, the ruler and the reigner. He is the one that through him all things were created the visible, the invisible all things in heaven, on earth, all the rulers, the powers. He's the Lord over the supernatural. He's the Lord over the natural world. He is Lord. Jesus is Lord. And the Gospels want us to realize that he is Lord, and so does all the Bible, that we should bring our lives into submission to his Lordship. Come to him through Christ and know that every part of our life is for him. If we go back to Colossians, what, how does it finish off? All things were made through him, and for him. Talked to someone was talking to the fifth and sixth graders last night. And I was trying to explain to them how the Bible and the gospel helps us understand all of life. Why people die. What is your purpose? What is after this life? The the, the storyline of the Bible answers every question and it answers them perfectly better than any other belief system in the world, and it is true. The Bible answers these questions. If you're asking this question, what are you here for? What on earth are you here for? You are here for the praise, glory, and honor of Jesus. Everything in the world was created for him. And you will not, you will not find happiness or satisfaction until you come to terms that you were made for him and your soul will be restless Till you find your peace in him. You can go get your self-help book on. Go to Barnes & Noble. Go to the one book, books a million that's left in Mount Juliet. There's only one. Go there. Go to the self-help section. Go get your Tony Robbins book. Go read Mr. Osteen. Go read somebody that's going to tell you some self-help. It's not going to help you. You're going to be happy for a while, and then your world's going to crash again. Jesus is the only one who can give you you a hope and a peace and let you know what you're here for. And even when the storms come, and they will come, He is big enough, strong enough, and gives you purpose enough for you to continue on and for you to persevere. And not only that, He won't ever leave you, He is sovereign. Over the supernatural and the natural, you are not created for yourself. You're created for him. And I told the fifth and sixth graders this last night, it's really freeing when you realize the world does not revolve around you. It really is. it makes life so much, so much better. Why is this happening to me? Well, maybe you're not the point. Why did this have come into my life? Probably for the glory of Jesus. You know why? Because everything was created for him. Everything. Including you. Including ice cream. Pizza. The weather patterns. It was created through him, for him. And... We like to be the center of the universe. We like to make sure we keep ourselves in that window. We like to keep ourselves at the center. But the Bible, and we come together and worship and we read it, it's that control burn that takes us away from, I will sing praises to my name. To who we would sing praises to his name. It's that thing that says, if we were writing it, it would be, it would be I am the image of the invisible awesome, firstborn over all of my life. And everything that exists on heaven and on earth, whether it's visible or invisible, whether it's authorities or powers, it all has to do with me. And it's all through me, and it's all for me. And the Bible says, Ah no. It's all for the one Jesus who is the image of the invisible God. The firstborn, the ruler, the rightful heir of all creation. All things were created through him. Whether they are heaven and the galaxies and the stars, there's a beautiful sunset, they were created for him and for his glory. Whether it's on the earth, whether we're talking about those little sugar ants or the big lion at the zoo, all things were created for him, through him. Whether we're talking about visible or invisible, the atoms, electrons, the neutrons, all of that, or it's the visible. Our lives, our system, whether it's, it's supernatural or the natural, whether it's thrones or powers, or all things are created through him and for him. You are not the center. He is the center. And finding him at the center is finding true joy and peace. And we've been trying in our best way possible in the simplest terms ever to tell your kids that. And we want to tell you that, that Jesus is the center. All things recreated by him, through him, and for him. And I call us all to praise him. If you're in this place today, and you've heard the gospel before, but you are the center of your life, and you have never trusted Christ, I'm going to invite you to do what the kids did. Follow the ABCs. Admit to God that you're a sinner. Don't hold it back. Don't hide it anymore. Admit your sin to him. The Bible says all have sinned and falls short of the glory of God. Admit to God you're a sinner and turn from that. Be, believe. Believe that He is the image of the invisible God. Believe that He came as the God man. He lived a perfect life. He died a death that He did not deserve, bearing sin as a substitute. He rose again on the third day, showing that God accepted the sacrifice, the payment of sin, and that He is risen and He is reigning in heaven and He will come again. Believe that that is the only way that you can have forgiveness of sins in new life. Admit that you're a sinner. Repent, believe that Jesus is God's Son, and confess your faith, which means telling other people the, one, the number one way we confess our faith is through the symbol and the sacrament of baptism. It doesn't mean anything except for the fact that it's a symbol. It's not, you don't, you're not saved by going in water. It's just water. But what it means is a confession that you are now, your life is living in Christ. And so I invite some of you who have never trusted Christ and you've been the center of your own universe. I want you to know something. You'll never find hope. You'll never find peace. Your soul will be restless until you find your peace in Jesus. Turn from your sin. Confess faith to him. If you have a question about that, there's elders or deacons that love to talk to you about that. And you can right there, and where you are, you can call upon the name of the Lord, confess your sins, and believe. Secondly, for all, for those of us who have, who know Christ? Every time we come to the scriptures, we we it, if we're left to our own devices, we belittle Him with our way we be, we believe in the way we behave. We need that burn to see Him as the center of our universe and not ourselves at the center of the universe. We have to remember that we were created for Him, and we when we remember we were created for Him, we obey Him for His glory. So this is a call. It's a call for those who are far away from Christ to admit, believe, and confess. And it's a a call for us who are in Christ to see him for all he is. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. All things were created through him and for him. Let's pray. Father, you're good. Thank you for this time of worship. We ask that you would be glorified in what we do next, in our giving and in our announcements. And we pray, God, that you be glorified tonight at VBS. In Jesus' name, amen. Good morning. If you have the offering team come forward here, we're going to take our time.